Let's read Genesis 22, verses only 1 and 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how this points uh, to us uh, the importance of Christ throughout all time. We ask you now to open our eyes and ears and our minds such that we can understand and apply this truth. In Christ's name, amen. I actually want to back up a couple of verses and read a little bit from the previous chapter. But it really wasn't part of the reading, but it's kind of to set the context. At the very end of 21, it reads this. He and Abimelech, uh, starting at verse 32, thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. The reason I wanted to go back and read those words is that it sets the context for what is about to happen. Because uh, Abraham had been through a lot since he'd left Ur of the Chaldees long, long, long earlier. He's uh, been promised this son forever. And then finally, he gets Isaac. And now... Here he is many years after all of the difficulties associated with that have passed because they had gone for a long time without a son. Then uh, Sarah wanted him to take uh, her maidservant Hagar as a concubine and have a son, and he did, Ishmael. But God said, no, that's not the one. And so Abraham is disappointed, and he's essentially reprimanded by God for having tried to do what it is that God had promised him he would do. And then you have 14 years of Sarah and Hagar not getting along because Hagar has contempt for Sarah. And now you have this period of peace. Hagar and Ishmael have been long gone. They'd been banished with God's blessing, and so Abraham had to accept it. He didn't like it, but he accepted it. And now many years have passed. His men are no longer quarreling. Earlier on, his men had quarreled with Lot's men. And then they'd quarreled with Abimelech's men. And now all that quarreling is gone. He has this property. He's got no one fighting with him over it. Abimelech has blessed him by taking these seven ewe lambs that he's given him as a promise that this well is mine. And all of this is well and good. And then we have this, this incredible, painful test. And Abraham is here in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, here I am. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. Listen to how this is phrased. Take now your son, your only son. Didn't Abraham have another son, Ishmael? Not in God's eyes. Ishmael is illegitimate. He does not factor into God's thinking at all. Take now your son, your only son. It just goes to show you how far outside of God's plan this whole Hagar and Ishmael thing was. And yet, when Abraham pled for God to bless Ishmael, he said, okay, I will. And now we have this day in this world 
the continuing battle between the Arabs and the Israelis. To me, it's just phenomenal that it goes back to Abraham pleading for Ishmael. It began as an error of this man, and it continues to, into our day. It's just phenomenal to me. And yet we also have here the first instance of the word love in the Bible. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. This is the first occurrence of the word love. You'd think after 21 chapters it had already occurred, but no, this is it. And what's really remarkable is that the first instance of the word love in the New Testament has to deal with God's only son, the only begotten son. And it's when he's baptized in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every one of the books, this is the first occurrence. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we have the first instance of love in Genesis being Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of promise, this picture of Christ. And in the New Testament, you have Jesus, the fulfillment of that type. And what's interesting is when you look at John, the only non-parallel gospel, where do you think the first occurrence of love is in the gospel of John? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we have here a picture of the Old Testament and New Testament being unified in this way through Christ, through this picture of Isaac and Christ fulfilling the love of God by bringing Isaac into the world. Now, this test is really disturbing, I think, to many people. I remember when I researched this years ago, and the reason I chose to research it was that I puzzled over it. I thought, this is so weird. God is commanding human sacrifice right there in the pages of Scripture. And yet elsewhere in Scripture, God condemns human sacrifice. So what gives? What is the reality of this human sacrifice that God is commanding? Well, go to the land of Moriah. Let's talk about that for a second. This land of Moriah had already been mentioned in Scripture. Now, not at this time, but later. The land of Moriah is where Abraham is sent, and it takes him three days' journey to get there. And yet it's the land of Moriah where the temple is built a thousand years later. It's the land of Moriah where David buys a threshing floor to end the plague that has come upon the Jews for him having counted his people near his death. So it all has to tie in with placating God's wrath. So here is where Abraham has sent it. It's a picture of God commanding someone to go and placate his wrath. And yet it's with this promised son. Now, we could continue, and I, and I will in future weeks, because this just really cannot be rushed, and uh, we want the communion meditation to be relatively brief. So I'll stop right there, and yet we'll return to this. Uh, Abraham was at peace, and yet this was a transitory peace that he had. The peace that he had was physical in nature, and he, he was being reminded here that the peace that he really needed had to be spiritual in nature. It had to persist through and deal with both aspects of the curse of God, the curse of physical death and the curse of spiritual death. And that is what Abraham was really tending to forget about at this point because he's at peace with these men. He's at peace in his family. He's a very happy guy. And it's just you know so sad that sometimes God comes in and disrupts our happiness in this painful way. But he does it to us, too. We can't feel too bad for Abraham because we've experienced this as well. And rightfully so. We should. Because as long as we're happy in this world, 
we need to be reminded that that's not the end all and be all. We must want more. This is more. This points at the future. This points at eternity, not at what we're experiencing now. And yet it does it through bread and wine. It does it through these physical, tangible elements by which we can relate to one another, by which we can share in the partaking. And yet it's, it's, it's pointing at a spiritual reality that we can't see, that we must participate in by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray, Lord, that we would be changed by it, that we would not just allow this to go in one ear and out the other, but that we would be transformed. We thank you, Father, for who you are and for what you are making us, your people, your church, your kingdom. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.